Hello, and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes live stream Q&A podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Thanks for joining us on this special Monday edition of Scripts and Scribes Live. Before we get started, our next episode is this Saturday, October 23rd at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. And our guest is going to be screenwriter Chris Sparling, writer of the 2020 Gerard Butler action thriller Greenland. Uh, or Greenland, uh, and its upcoming sequel. He also wrote the Ryan Reynolds thriller Buried and the Gus Van Sant film The Sea of Trees, starring Matthew McConaughey and Naomi Watts, so be sure to join us this Saturday. But our guest today is making uh, his glorious return appearance. He is a lit manager and producer at Bellevue Productions, repping a list of top-working and up-and-coming screenwriters, filmmakers, and TV writer-producers. He's been a story analyst at CIA and assistant at the Gotham Group, and was head of the story department at Resolution before being promoted to agent. He also previously ran his own lit management company, Heretic Literary Management, before joining John Zalzerny and the gang at Bellevue. Welcome back to the show, Jeff Portnoy. Welcome back, Jeff. Thanks, Kevin. Really appreciate it. Glad to be back. Thank you for having me. No, it's it's great to have you. We we're, we're seem to be uh, on the, the Bellevue train. All of you guys are uh, making appearances. It really is a great company, both in terms of what you've done for your clients, the sort of approachability, uh, the energy you guys have. It, it's, it seems to be a, l- a little bit different than a lot of other management companies and managers that we uh, encounter. So, no, I, I love talking to you guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, we love we love writers. That's one thing about us. Yeah, no, that's 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 what we love to hear. Um, so for those of you in the live stream, uh, please leave your questions for Jeff in the chat and we'll get answers for you as soon as we can. But before we start getting into uh, listener viewer questions, um, we got some of your background uh, in our intro. But for those audience members who haven't listened to your previous episode, uh, maybe you can just briefly talk about your history and how you sort of got into the industry. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The the short, short story on my background is, you know, was an aspire, fell in love with movies at a very young age. Um, I'll give you the beat sheet. Let's put it in the writer part. Right. I'm going to have the beat sheet. You know, the beats are fell in love with movies at a very young age, was obsessed with movies. Um, went to the New York Film Academy. I was 17 years old when I went to the New York Film Academy's two month, uh, you know, intensive workshop program. That's when I knew I movies. After that, I came out of that thing, saying this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. Got my bachelor's degree in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in film production moved out to LA, um, wrote a script, you know, was, was an aspiring writer director. When I moved out here, I wrote a script. It was, it it made the rounds. I was getting some feedback and the feedback was that it was really bad. And, uh, that I should (laughs) consider going back to school. I actually, you know, took that feedback to heart and I went to the UCLA extensions writing program, film and TV writing program. And, uh, when I finished up with that, I started working as a freelance story analyst, re- reading scripts, writing coverage, and got a job at Creative Artist Agency. And long story short, I was at CA for probably five and a half years, reading screenplays and writing coverage. And while I was pursuing writing, but uh, a, a time came that I ca- came to this conclusion that I was a little, I was better at working with writers uh, than writing myself. And, and I came to that conclusion because I got a chance or an opportunity to work with some of the CA's clients hand in hand directly writer clients um giving them feedback seeing the drafts evolve seeing the scripts their scripts develop and and i really enjoyed that process that development process so i got a taste of development at ca and came to the conclusion that it was i was better at it and enjoyed it more and 
And once I came to that conclusion, I stopped pursuing writing and I moved into management, you know, management and production and went to work at the Gotham Group, which was a management production company, mm -hmm. got my feet wet in the management world there. And then I went to Resolution, which was like a master's class on representation for me. And when Resolution closed, um, I had a few writers that I had discovered and brought into Resolution as clients. And I, I kept working with them as a manager and did a year on my own at Heretic Literary Management, as you mentioned before, and then joined up with John. I've been with John in Bellevue now for six years. And I that that's a total of seven years total managing um, with the year on my own before that. And, um, you know, so yeah, it was, I think and I was an aspiring writer who came to the, the log line is uh, I was an aspiring writer who, you know, after doing actually writing myself came to the conclusion that I wasn't, I didn't have quite the, the, um, I, I don't know what to call it, the stuff. I didn't quite have the right, you know, mentality or, you know, or components to be a writer, but I really love working with writers and being a creative bouncing board for my clients and, um, you know, just, you know, giving them feedback and, and helping them develop and helping them make their material as good as it can be. And, um, you know, and then when the script's done, you know, then I put on my, you know, my agent hat and what I learned at resolution and get out there and, and hustle and try to get them work and try to get them, you know, sell their materials and, and find them an agent if they, if they don't have one and want one and, you know, get them, meet, hook them up with producers and whatnot. So the first part of the equation is developing. And then the next part is actually packaging, selling, getting their, you know, materials mm -hmm. produced. Now, starting off with the development side, how do you find that your screenwriting training, because not every rep studies screenwriting or is experienced at it, but how do you find that your background in screenwriting, both as a writer and having trained, studied screenwriting at, at you know, uh, you know, taking different courses and things like that. How does that affect you as a uh, a lit rep, and, and in terms of your I mean, development process? Yeah, I think I think having written myself, and I didn't write a, I didn't write many scripts. I think it was two total, two scripts total. But just having done it, even even once, even mm -hmm. writing one script, helps you understand how complicated and interconnected the whole the whole thing is, and it's and everything's easier said than done. So when I give a note, I tend to. You know, I know how hard it is to, you know, how everything is interconnected and, you know, the ripple effect and all that stuff. So I, I think when I'm giving notes, I'm a little more, you know, I, I understand it's easier said than done. You know, some people give a note, oh, go change this. And they don't, they, they forget or they don't understand how hard it is, how it's going to affect all these other things in the script. And I sometimes will say, this is what I, this is my note. I'll present the note to the writer and I'll, but then I'll also say, now I understand that's going to affect this, that, and this, and that's going to unravel it, but that's the note. Mm -hmm. So I under, you know, and I'll, you know, we can talk about it. So I, I just gives you a better understanding of the whole process. I think writing uh, is, a, is a huge helpful thing for a manager. And then also you mentioned just taking courses and classes and, you know, reading books and educating yourself on screenplay structure, you know, is great. It helps me give notes and develop better. Just be, I think it's, all comes down to being more articulate and when you're giving a note i mean we all and anyone can read a script and know if they like it or not and if they don't like it they can know what they didn't like or where they didn't like it or what rubbed them the wrong way or where they bumped but to our to our verbally or in writing articulate that note in a way that's like constructive that's where you know if you can take classes and because that's it's going to be as clear as possible if it's if you're vague or ambiguous with your note then the writer is at a loss they don't know how to you know they won't be able to wrap their head around it, but if you can be very clear and and come in, so I think it's you know it's all been helpful for sure. It definitely 
is is beneficial to the clients. Mm-hmm. And then I also wanted to touch base on the fact that you were an agent and a manager. Not every manager has that sort of background. A lot of them just start off as a manager or a producer or they were former executive. Uh, so some do make the jump, but it's it's not as common as you think. How does that affect you? Because a lot of managers who don't have that background are much more on the development side and then rely more on agents for the sales impetus. Uh, how does being a former agent yourself affect the way you operate? Well, by the way, just to just to correct, completely correct the record, one hundred percent is I was at Resolution. I was the head of the story department, and then I was like a, an agent trainee, and I was on a path to. I think if the company had succeeded, I would have. There was no, okay. no question about it. I would have eventually become an agent, and, and then you know brought someone in to replace me as the head of the story department. Right. Um, but 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 I but just to but but that doesn't mean that I I, I learned how the agency works and how agents work. And I, and I, I did have clients and I was on teams as an agent. I had brought clients into the, into the agency. They signed with other agents, but I was on the team and mm-hmm. I was part of every conversation discussion meeting. So it wasn't like I just brought them a client. They said, thanks. And then, kicked right. me out, you know, kicked me out of the, out of the door and then just went off with the client. So I, I got some agency training at resolution, but I also worked at the Gotham group. So I got to see kind of each side of the, of the Hill I got mm-hmm. to be on and, um, you know, one thing that was very clear to me from having that both of those experiences working in a management company, working with an agency, and ultimately one of the reasons I went more towards management was because there was always I noticed there was a the managers there was more creative input was more expected and more welcome, mm-hmm. whereas agents it was less expected and less welcome and less frequently would I see that. Uh, I remember you know talking to some agents at Resolution, and again there's exceptions, but I just remember the general vibe was you know. If the script is ready, you know, if you if you read something and it's ready to go to market, then, you know, sign the writer and let's go. If it's not, it needs to development, kick that, push that off to outsource that to someone else. Mm-hmm. Give it to a manager, give it to a producer and wait and sit and wait till it's ready. And I never liked that. I remember, you know, an, an agent saying is, you know, I, I had brought up a script at a meeting that I really liked. And this agent said, is it ready to go to market? Like, could we bring it out tomorrow? And I said, no, it needs it needs work. And he said, then that's not our job, you know. You could, you know, give that to someone else, and then when it's ready, we'll we'll go out with it. And I said, yeah, no, I, I want to be involved with that. I don't want to sit and wait right. while other people do it. I'm, I that's that's when I knew management was for me. Now there are there are agents that do, are you know do develop. So just like there's managers who don't develop, mm-hmm. there's there's the rules, and then there's the exception to the rules. So you know, you know, there's a lot of. I'm so I'm not saying all agents are like that. That one in particular agent that I talked to that particular day was like, don't you know. Don't do that. Don't waste right. your time. Develop. That's what he looked at. He looked at it as a waste of time to spend all that time developing. Just let someone else do it. And when it's ready, you just make the phone calls or the emails. And I said, nah, I know what it needs to be better. I, I want to be part of that process. I want to develop. I'm not. Then I, that's when I kind of knew is like, if I have to choose, I think management's more my speed. But I happened to be at an agency at that time. So when it closed and I, I went into management, that was kind of a blessing in disguise. But, um, but yeah, I think uh, it's definitely working at an agency has helped me understand how agents think and agencies think. And, and also uh, it gave me the training. Cause I have clients that don't have agents and I have some clients that do have agents and in e- e- either case, when the script is ready and it's time to go out and, and sell it and get them work, I have that training and, you know, and so I can put my hat on and go, let's go, you know, mm-hmm. my, my agency hat and let's go sell it. Let's go get you work. Um, but um, yeah. Does that answer that question? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it is a different mentality. 
even though, like you had mentioned, no, there's no absolutes in the business. There are some agents who may be more inclined to develop. For the most part, that's not really what they do. Their client list is usually twice as large as, as a manager's. Uh, and so that they don't tend to develop. That's usually in the purview of managers who also sometimes can produce as well because they spend so much time developing uh, things like John and, and Ian Shore and, and uh, uh, Infinite and things like that, you know, where he got the rights to the book and that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, but what I wanted to touch base on specifically, again, because of your agency and management company background, for a lot of emerging writers who may not be as familiar, they just hear agent or they hear manager and they think that your guys are sort of one and the same, they're interchangeable, they may not need both, or maybe they just two of the same thing. Other than the fact that agents tend to be more salespeople and managers tend to be more developmental, what are some of the other differences between an agent and a manager? Like why, why would it benefit a writer to have both? And why do managers tend to be the ones that are more receptive than agents in newer clients? Yeah, well, those are those are good questions. I would say the reason why it benefits you to have both is you, you know, you're going from, uh, you know, it's, you know, you're a good, a good manager is going to, and again, everyone has different, there's different types of managers and everyone has different styles. But I think um, if you are, especially if you're a, an individual writer, you do not have a writing partner. Um, you know, the the manager is like a private or personal development executive. He's someone that has, you know, is going to troubleshoot all of the reasons for passing with you. And, and, it, and it takes more time to do that. You know what I'm saying? So like a client sends me a script, we'll, we'll hop on a, a call for an hour or longer. And I will point out things that I, I think, you know, pr producers, production company executives, studio executives, network executives are going to pass for. And we'll we'll develop it. We'll address those notes, and we'll develop it. And that's a very time-consuming thing. And and having some uh, an agent on my client's team that can help us take the script out when when it's ready to sell, it allows me to spend more time, um, more carefully addressing those notes. And it and it lets their agent spend less time addressing the notes and more time selling it. Now, if they just have me, or if they just have the agent, then yes, they're only they're only losing ten percent if the thing if the project ever sells. But they're but they're putting all that work on one of us. You see what I'm saying? So like mm -hmm. you're you're a screenwriter, um, you know you're writing a feature and but you don't want to lose 20%. You're I can't afford that or for whatever reason do not want to have a ma an manager taking 10%, an agent taking 7 So I'm going to choose one or the other and, and try to find some kind of hybrid. That's fine and you can do that and there are a lot of those situations going on. But that into that that representative is now doing everything. And, and when when you, you know, say, you know what, let's divide things up. Let's like, Jeff, I want you to focus on the development part of it. And agent, you're going to focus on the sales part and the getting me a job and getting me staff part of it. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, you're losing 20%, but you're letting us kind of like specialize in those two things. And and then we're going to put even more attention towards those things. Um, so you're, you're losing more of a percentage, but you're get, gaining more in terms of our focus on the work. Now, when the script is ready... Um, we're going to, we, we're going to ask the agent for feedback. We don't want, I don't want the agent to just mindlessly pick up the phone or, and just email and, or call and pitch it and send it out. We want them to read it and we want them to see if, to catch things that we missed because I'll, by the time the script is ready, I'll be too close to it to be uh, objective at that point. So we'll give it to the, we want feedback from the agent 
Uh, we want them to give us their notes. And just like the agent's going to want me as a manager to not just, once the writing's done and the script's ready, to go and just work on something else with another client, they're going to want my help. Do I know anyone that might be right for this? Who do I know is looking for this type of thing? Maybe I have a, really, a better relationship than the agent at a certain company. Maybe I can reach out and make some submissions. So I would say like 75% of what I'm doing is development. And then when the script's ready, 25% of what I'm doing is acting, is being part of my client's agent team. I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm the junior agent on the team helping. And they want that. The agents are inviting that. And the same thing, they're, the agent, 75% of what they're doing is, is you know, trying to find jobs, sell the material, but 25% is giving us feedback. And cause, and I'm inviting that because we would love another fresh set of eyes on the material. So I feel like it's like a, that's the best balance. You want a balance in your team. You don't want, you don't, I don't think you want a manager who's only developing. And then when the script's ready disappears mm -hmm. and, and you don't want an agent who never gives any notes or feedback and just makes a big list of producers, makes the calls, makes the email submissions puts you up for jobs. You want them both doing everything, but I think the the manager focuses more on that and the, and, it, and having both on your team, it, it lets us focus a little more, if that makes sense. I, yeah. I've always used an analogy. It's kind of a weird analogy. And I don't know if it, if it, if it's a good analogy to be honest with you, but it's like, you know, you have your general practitioner and you go to your doctor and, and he or she tells you, you know, you have a, a problem with your hands. So you've got to go to an orthopedic surgeon. You've got a, you know, a problem with your skin. You've got to see a dermatologist. You've got to, you know, et cetera, et cetera, you have, they're just, they're just kind of there to kind of like, um, diagnose the general ailment. And then they send you to a specialist. You have to have specialists. You don't want one doctor doing every, you don't want your general practitioner to do surgery on your foot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You want to like, let us, so I, I think it's for, for writers out there that only have one or the one or the other, that, that agent or manager is effectively doing both jobs. Mm. And if they're not doing one of the two jobs and someone else is they're not going to get done or someone else is going to do it. So if you just have an agent and the agent's not developing with you, just making, then you have to find a writer's group or a writing partner or a producer. You need to find someone to help you do that. Um, and if you have a manager who's developing with you, but that's not exposing the material to the town and sending it to producers and doing that, then you've got to find, you've got to do it yourself or find, through friends, find a way to do that. Most people that have one or the other, they're doing both jobs, but they're stretching them thin. Mm -hmm. So if you hire both, it allows us to be more specialized than generalized. That's the way I've always kind of looked at it. I don't know if that makes sense. It's a little confusing, but... Yeah, um, no, and most writers, even upper-level showrunners, I mean, they have both. I mean, there are fewer older school. I know John August uh, famously came out against managers, I think, but it's more the manager-producer sort of conflict. I think that that sort of yeah, rubbed him the wrong way. But also, issue, I think yeah. if you only have an agent, if if you're in the incoming call business, that's probably a little bit easier because you're just fielding calls instead of seeking out work. But for most writers out there who are trying to get their next job, most will have both. Yeah, I think it's good to have both. I think yeah. it's, it's really good to have both. And then they can, you know, you have your, you know, for I, I the, the purpose I serve for a lot of my clients is like a surrogate writing partner mm -hmm. it, it, who doesn't type or take credit. You know, it's like I'm there to bounce ideas off. I'm there to you just I get a text or email me an idea. Hey, you know, we'll hop on a call real quickly. Right. I'm very accessible. It's very creative. It's all, oh, that would be so cool. What if we tried this? What if we did this? And we go back and forth until the thing's ready. And then when the script's ready, you know, we give it to the agent. The agent's going to have notes and, you know, feedback. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but mm -hmm. we all, usually they do. And then I'll be there to help my client uh, address the notes from their agent. And then when, the, but the, again, when the script's ready, I, I don't just sit back and say, okay, thanks agent, go do it. I'm going to 
Right. I want to be involved. I, it's my commission as well. And I'm and the script's done now. We've now the, the client and I are going to go and start brainstorming new ideas. But until we have a new idea locked down, you know, I want that thing to sell. I'm going to look at my list, my Rolodex of contacts. And, mm-hmm. and you know, if the agents, if, if everyone that makes sense for the script, the agents want to send it to, that's fine. But if they if they want help, I'm there to help. If they're if I have some contacts, they don't. I'm going to send it and they welcome that we welcome. We work together. And I've never, you know, I, I never um, discourage an agent from from giving us feedback and, you know, for, on a script or a pilot or, or an idea or anything. And they never really discourage me from trying to bring in a commission, try to sell something of our clients, you know, get them staffed or sell something. But the agents are, are like, it's a bigger mechanism and they're collecting information about open writing assignments and staffing assignments. We, you know, so they're aware of those projects. They're spending that time, they're saving not the two hours I'm on a phone call, giving notes to the client about their outlines or treatments or scripts. The agents are doing a lot of more networking and they're doing more, shorter networking calls and meetings and coffees. And they're gathering more information about the jobs that exist, whether it's open writing, open staffing, directing, um, and then, so they're aware of those things early and they're, you know, that's what, they, that's what they do more of. So it's just like, I think when I was, when I was at resolution, I got in, in Gotham, I got to see the two sides and see how they were the similarities, the differences. And I ultimately, my favorite part is the the creative part of it. Um, so that's what led me that way. I think if I was, I really was more interested in the, you know, networking and the social part of getting out there and just networking. And I, and I do a ton of networking, but that part of like, just, you know, having a much higher volume business and it being more about just connecting the dots mm-hmm. and finding people jobs, I would have probably went to be an, an agency. And then there's also differences in the cultures of those two things. There's the management culture there. The companies tend to be smaller um, and, and the agents, it's, they're much bigger and there's a little more corporate and, uh, right. and they're, you know, the big agencies, you, you're, you wear suits, you know, the management companies, you got guys in jeans and girls in jeans and, right. you know, dressed like, you know, uh, it's not very as formal. Um, so, it's a little makes you feel more creative too. It's just a little different culture. There's the whole poaching thing with like agency culture. You poach clients, managers don't. So there's a cultural differences that also drew me to that side of it. And but yeah, I I landed where I belong, definitely on the on the uh, on the manager side. But I I love agents. I have lots of agent friends and clients with agents, and they're extremely helpful in a in a time and we we live in a time where most of the packaging of you know film and TV projects happens outside of a studio or network um, and agents and producers and managers kind of, we make that happen. You know, mm-hmm. we make the, we, we're packaging it and then we're bringing the packages, partial or full packages to the studios and networks and presenting them to them and, and they're financing them. So, you know, I, I, I would say roughly, I, I feel like about 80% of everything gets packaged outside. And so you need agents are more producerial now than they used to be back in the, right. you know, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, and into the 80s, even into the 90s, the agents were just identifying jobs and putting people up for jobs. But as the studios and networks started outsourcing the packaging to the to us, the managers, agent, managers, agents, and producers, saying we're not going to do this anymore. It's, it's a time-consuming and expensive process, and we pay, we finance production. So why should we have to do this hard and expensive thing? You guys do it. Bring us, do all the hard work, and bring us the package. When that started happening then the agents now take on a producer role. So, you know, there's agents sitting around at meetings at CA and WME who are, who are like acting like producers. Like one agent has a, a writer client, the other has a, a director client. They're reading scripts, they're packaging in house and then bringing a package to a, a full package to a, a network. They have more of a creative fingerprint on that 
project and on that ultimate film than the, than the studio does. Mm. If they're just studios not didn't touch it, just writing a check to finance the production of it there, you know, so agents are more creative now than ever, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, we start we're starting to get a lot of questions here. So let's start rolling into a few of these here. Um, Ash Laser, Gorilla Coast Pictures. Good to see you, Ash. Um, says, thanks, Jeff and Kevin. Really appreciate you both taking the time. Uh, let's see. Jacob uh, Burgos says, hi, had two projects go into development in the last year. One at CBS Studios, the other just sold to Starling Entertainment. Even still, I can't get a manager to look at my material. What can I do? Um... What's it? What's the name? What's his name? So I could Jacob. Jacob. Uh, it's a good question. Um, that's a good question. Had he had? You said he had some things optioned. Uh, it says he had two projects going to development. One at going CBS. Um, and so I don't know what level of development that. Actually yeah, it's a good question. I mean, if he's got, if he's, if he's, these things are, uh, you know, he's got projects that have been optioned and or purchased and are going into development and major TV studios and networks, then I, I don't know. He should keep reaching. I, I have a, my gut is telling me he's probably will get signed sooner or later. You just have to reach out to the right people. And, you know, um, that's one thing I, I know. I know as a manager who's constantly getting bombarded by unsolicited, you know, queries every day, it's rare to see one by someone who's actually made money, mm. you know, by selling a project to the, uh, to a major studio. So that would stand out if I had 10 queries today and one of them said, you know, I sold a pilot, I just sold a pilot to CBS studios and I have another one at, you know, Netflix or whatever, I would probably take a look at that. So I think my advice to him is just keep, you know, reaching out to more and more managers. There's a lot out there. There's hundreds of managers and management companies. So just to keep trying and, um, so I, I don't have a good answer for that. Why he hasn't been signed? I say keep trying, and, and my hope is that you will be signed. Yeah, I mean, if he sold something to CBS or to I don't know this company, Starling Entertainment. I don't know them per se, but um, but if he sold some scripts or a pilot or two, uh, you would think there would have to be an agent or an attorney involved. Just an attorney. The only thing you need, the yeah, only thing you effectively but, need is an attorney. Yeah, right, or an agent. I mean, I guess if you don't get your own attorney, maybe. But anyway, that uh, entertainment attorney could reach out to people. I'm sure if it's an that's entertainment, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I would, that's a great. That's a great. You you actually answered the question better I did, than I did. I think he should reach out to his attorney, whoever did the deal, yeah. and say, you know, do you have? Uh, you know, any suggestions for managers that you work with or agents that you because work with. So, yeah. if you got a call from an entertainment attorney, even if you didn't know that entertainment attorney, they said, I, my client just sold a pilot to CBS. Would you be interested in taking a look? You're probably going to say yes, right? It happens all the time. I have, yeah. I have, you know, several entertainment attorney friends who call me. They'll, what, what happens? The reason why there's no agent or manager sometimes is because, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Jacob may have reached, you know, reached out, acted as his own representative reached out to some sure. executive at one of these companies and said, Hey, I have a script. They, they ex had him sign a waiver, read the script, made an offer and just told him, you got to hire an attorney to do this. And if you want to do it right, I mean, you don't have to hire it to be honest with you. There's no law saying you have to hire an attorney, but if you want to, if you to be smart about it, you need an attorney. And then, so you find an attorney who does the deal, takes their commission. And then you should ask the attorney to help you find uh, a manager or agent. And, um, but yeah, I, you know, that happens to me all the time. I have a, a man, agents, I'm sorry, attorneys who 
who do deals where there's no manager agent involved. And then they'll reach out to me and say, Hey, do you, you know, this, I did this writer's deal. Would you like to take a look and I'll, I'll jump into it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Farzin Farzam. Hi, Kevin and Jeff. Hope you're doing great. We hope you're doing great as well. Farzin, good to see you. Um, John Lonizak. I hope I said your name correct. John says, hi, Jeff. Thanks for doing this. What are you currently looking for? And follow up, what producers and studios do you have close connections with in developing projects? I think that would probably be a long list. Um, but I guess, what are you currently looking for? Are there any particular genres, things that are hot that you favor more than others in particular that you think there's a shortage of in the marketplace or there's a great demand for in the marketplace? Um, I mean, my, my, the, the usual genres that I'm looking, I, I guess, are we talking TV or features here? Do we know that? Or I, it doesn't specify. So both, yeah. you know, my, our, our big, you know, my big, uh, um, you know, the, the things I'm looking for is, and they've always relatively been like elevated genre. So mm-hmm. it's sci-fi, you know, horror action, but as smart and sophisticated as possible. Prestige is always good. We love our prestige. We love our drama um you know true stories um so there's no you know you know i do i like dramedy uh you know we dabble in the comedy space as well have a little comedy from time to time um the only the only things that i really don't do a a lot in is like family um you know or i don't have a lot of clients working in the animated family animation space some clients in feature animation but no one in like the tv animated family space uh Mm it's a slightly different world. It's like another world to network with. So it's, um, but yeah, I just, you know, I'm open to pretty much anything and, uh, you know, there's nothing in no, nothing. I'm there. The mandates are kind of always changing and what everyone's looking for is always changing. So I don't have any set thing. I just send it to me and, you know, but yes, definitely for me, it's, I'm, I, I do like my sci-fi. I like, right. you know, my thrillers and psychological thrillers and, uh, and drama, obviously, true story drama is always great. Yeah, I mean, in terms of his follow-up question, uh, what I will say is, like, what producers and studios do you have close connections with in developing projects? I think the thing is, when you were on your own at Heretic, it's whatever close connections you had. But the benefit of being part of a company with, you know, five managers is if everyone has different sort of contacts at different companies and you all share those resources, and I think that that's huge. And then also agents of clients and, and things like that also have a different network and it's it's a huge range of, of and also because you're at a company like Bellevue and not you know your own independent manager not that you know you weren't respected then but when you're at a company like Bellevue that's respected uh, you can get into places even if you don't have a specific uh, direct contact firsthand you make them in those situations and things like that so yeah, yeah, it's it's great. It's uh, what do they call it? What the Darwinistic theory, the group altruism. It's like you're part of a group, and right. you know, if if my colleague John Zazerny and mm-hmm. Zach Zucker and and Kate Sharp, they have three scripts on the blacklist. It elevates you know, our profile. Sure. And I I might not have anyone on the blacklist that year, but it it elevates the profile of the company, which elevates me. So yeah, it's always great to be in a group, and uh, we've had a lot of success lately, and and things are great. And yeah, it's been it's been it's been awesome. Uh, Michael Smith says, is now until Christmas a good time to query managers or is it smarter to wait until the new year? 
I think any time. I don't think there's a for for querying managers. I don't think there's any ever a bad time. Uh, just because we're we're you know the, the, there's there's seasons in the in the industry for doing certain things, and most of those seasons are relate to, um, you know, when you when you're approaching someone who has money, a, an entity that has money. So if I'm going to go to a studio or network, uh, you know, to sell something, if a client of mine wants to take out a pitch, a TV pitch or a feature pitch or a feature spec or a TV spec. You know, you want to approach there. There are there are seasons and times you want to avoid and times you want to take things out. You know, one of the main things is a lot of these companies have funds that are de- deplete little by little throughout the year. And then they get replenished at the beginning of the new year. So if you approach them in November or October, November, they've spent a lot of their development money, the money that they've been uh, that's been allocated to them. So the one reason to go out or the first half of the year is because there's more development money in their funds. They don't get them replenished to the beginning. So, you know, I, I'd say end of the year is not a good time. Um, and then there's other there's other reasons why, you know, that are a little too more complicated to get into of why. But for managers, I don't think there's any time. All we, we're doing is reading and watching things and and considering you for a client. I, I think probably not a great idea to to reach out to anyone on an actual holiday or right before a holiday. But aside from a handful of the holidays and, you know, holiday weeks, the, the whole year is, is game on, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. Farzan Farzam uh, got great feedback from working writers on my thriller. Queried Bellevue didn't get an answer. The subject just got published in The Guardian. It's not like me, but may I hustle and get Jeff to take a look? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know who he queried at Bellevue. It, may, it could have been myself, and if it was... I do get I do get a lot of these now uh, after managing for seven years. I get, you know, at least 10 a day. I mean, you know, maybe sure. more. It can be 10 a day is probably on the average. And I just don't have time. There's not enough time in the, in the world to, for me to read all these things. So I do these days. When I first started out, I would read more than, you know, I would read a lot of. I would I would reach out to people and ask request their scripts, unsolicited queries. Nowadays, I'm looking for some vet vetting to happen before I read, sure. meaning like instead of just getting an email, cold email from someone, I'm, an attorney, like we mentioned earlier, is reaching out. Hey, I rep- this client did three deals for them. They're looking for a manager, agent, a client of mine making a, re- a reference, a creative executive, an executive at a production company studio network, you know, or it's or someone like it's just one and it just placed in the nickel or it mm-hmm. placed in the, you know, we're, we're looking for that. That narrows the list down if there's. 10,000 scripts and I only have 10 hours to read on the weekend, you know, I can't read those, all those scripts. What I'm looking for is for someone to vet that for me and say, read these three. Mm-hmm. No, don't read those 10,000, read these three. So I'm looking at final draft, big break, Austin film festival, nickel, you know, the, the USC, AFI, USC, UCLA, those programs getting, getting to the end of the program and being getting your master's degree is a, a, a sort a type of vetting if you, if you will um so we're looking man i think managers would all agree that we we need people to vet for us you know we need those the blacklist website you know uh, uh coverfly is now a new big uh vetting source they are they go through thousands of scripts and writers and then they curate it, the list and email us hey these three writers are looking for you know mm-hmm. representation they did they need managers um, so yeah, I'm I'm not doing a lot of the unsolicited ones anymore. However, occasionally I will get one, and again, the vetting will will be done in the email itself. 
that guy that that I think it was Jacob was his name or Joseph mm-hmm. who he, who was emailing for yeah. mm-hmm. Jacob. Hey, I I got this. You know, I might have to, I might have to verify some of that. But if he says I saw the pilot, you know, I saw the this pitch, I have this got produced, you know, then he's basically he's been vetted before. It's right. just for whatever yeah. reason doesn't have a manager or agent. Uh, you know, I, I'll eventually want to find out why that that didn't happen. But there's it's possible that it wouldn't happen that some there's a lot of writers out there that are their own representative. They hustle, they get things done and they for whatever reason, just, you know, coincidence, mm-hmm. they don't have a manager agent. So um, but yeah, vetting is important. So I don't know if, if it's enough just to have a like a cool log line or a great script just is, uh, you know, just how do you stand out from that from the right. other 15 that I'm going to get just today, you know? But let's say a log line did blow you away, because I've heard from other other managers who are like, all that matters is the log line. They don't care about anything else, just a log line. If the log line blows me away, then I'll take a look, whatever. Uh, if the log line blew you away, would it being a timely story? Like he had mentioned that it was published in The Guardian, not the story itself, but you know, the, I guess the event that it's based on or, or subject matter or whatever it happens to be. Would that, the timeliness of it, would that affect your interest at all? Would it move the needle even slightly? Just out of curiosity? Maybe. I mean, I've gone, there's been, there's been, over the years, there's been a few uh, log lines that, that did, uh, you know, motivate me to to request the script. And Mm -hmm. and I did end up signing the writers. It's a couple of years, we're a couple of years removed from that. I haven't done that recently. Um, But there have been some cases where I, where I saw the log line and the log line, was just uh, really, you know, eye-opening and just kind of. So there's a, you know, the the reading the logline. If a logline blows me away, that might lead to a request of a script. The next step is execution. I've never signed anyone because I've read an awesome logline. I've read an. I've the logline has occasionally, if it really stands out, driven me to to respond to an unsolicited query and request a, squ- a script and then give it a read. Mm-hmm. But the execution then has to be really good. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So it's like it's not enough just to have a great concept. You have to have great execution. Um, and then, and then a lot of those cases when I did request, it was, uh, you know, a true story. It was like, you know, a true story, like something like that When those, those true stories that's, that also will help if it's not a true story. So, you know, um, I lost, I lost my uh, thread there. What was the, what were we talking about again? Oh, just whether or not, uh, the, if a logline impressed you, if the fact that it was oh, yeah, a timely thing would uh, make a difference. Yeah, timely. It's a, it's a, I don't know. You know, if it's timely, it just depends. By the way, writing a script, just because the Guardian published a, a story about the subject, that's, uh, that's not going to, you know, that's not going to do anything for me. I, okay. I have to know what the, what is the logline. I don't care. Oh, that, sure. That someone published, uh, you know, sure. an article about it. It's going to be what exactly is the logline itself and what, mm-hmm. you know, and is it a, in, in, if I, if I like the logline, I might request it, but I do, again, it, it all, everything's, uh, you know, is re- correlates to how busy a, a, a manager is and where they are in their career. Like I'm like I said, there was, a, I'm students for seven years now. So there was a time where I just, the, the logline itself, if it really blew me away, I would request the script. And if, and if the execution was decent or great, I would, you know, I would engage. Now I'm looking for that bio to combination. Mm-hmm. It's a great logline, but I, you know, if if I get an email, it's just a logline. They're not they're including any biographical information. Then my assumption is going to be that there is no, they haven't, you know, gone to school and right. they haven't studied it and written. They, I need a little bit of a combo these days. So if I, uh, you know, if they have a great logline about a timely situation that they think will blow my, you know, blow my mind, great. But I also want to know 
you know, what's your experience? Cause that, that, that's execution. That's mm-hmm. gives me a hint about execution. If I'm getting 20 some queries in a day and you know, there's all these log lines. If a log line sticks out to me that I think is cool, I'm also going to want bio. Sometimes I, sometimes I will see a, a log line and I'll tell the email, the writer, cool, cool log line, cool concept. What's your, send me your bio. Hmm. And the bio gives me a glimpse uh, on, on execution without reading their script. It tells me what I can expect. Generally speaking, where it's going to land on the execution, you know, meter. Right. Um, I'm, and again, this is all speculative stuff that I'm just trying to, judge how I can best use my time. So if someone sends me a list, I was a playwright, I had this play produced, it won this award, and I had this book published, then I go, okay, send me that script, you know, cool log line. And I have a sense that it's going to be at least, a, you know, hit, hit a five on the execution, you know, and, you know, I, I just don't have a lot of free time. So I'm trying to be wise with my time. Right, right. That makes sense. Um, Tanya Thibodeau asks, can authors of a book reach out to managers or agents for scripts for adaptation consideration or is it usually traditionally published books that get considered for adaptation i'm not 100 percent sure if she's trying to find a screenwriter to adapt her book or if she's trying to get a script in your hand of an adaptation of her book i'm not 100 percent sure there um uh I have a, I have a sense of I, I think yeah I know okay what she's she's, yeah. She's, yeah like if, if she uh, let's just assume for a second she w- w- intends to write the screenplay adaptation of her own book okay so she if, if the book is uh, not published uh, if a client read I've had I have some clients that write novels and they'll reach out to me with the novel and and you know um, you can there is a world where you could go to a um, you know, production company or studio and, and send the manuscript and then, you know, try to get a, use it as a um, piece of IP to get a script deal where they'll make an off, offer to the client to write, to the writer to write, you know, a feature or a pilot based on that. You know, that having been said, it's much easier to do when it's been published because it's been vetted. Right. Just like, just like managers are looking to the blacklist and to cover fly and to, Nickel and Austin and all the in final draft as a, as vetting sources, all of the major s- streamers are looking towards Random House and Penguin and you know they're looking at those places saying you know and and not just not just books but video games and Activision and Blizzard and you know the more vetting something gets the, they know how to spend their money. So if a, if a if a book's been published, uh, it's much easier to you know to get you know, uh, to bring in a, a, an adaptation deal and offer to, to get paid to adapt it. Because, you know, if I can say this was published by Macmillan, this book was published by Macmillan, it sold this many copies, mm-hmm. it has a big fan base, we'll get it. If it hasn't sold to a publisher, it hasn't been vetted yet. It's essentially just a piece of IP, no different from an outline or a treatment. You know, right. so if I right, it's it's like taking a script out on pitch right now, if I have a client who's developed a pitch, and I'm going to go to Warner Brothers or Universal, and they're going to pitch and try to we're trying to bring in an offer for them to adapt, get paid to to write a, a feature. You know, if they if they don't have a script, they don't have a script. If it doesn't matter if you use an outline, a treatment, if there's no document exists, or if you have a book, a manuscript, the manuscript is just a, a you know a more thorough treatment of the story. You still have to produce the script, and no one has vetted it, so it's it's very similar. You know, if if a, if a client comes to me and says, "Hey, I have this idea for a feature," 
Uh, I'd love to take it out as a pitch. By the way, I also wrote a manuscript that this is based on. I'll say like, well, you have like, you know, it's basically a pitch. We're taking out a pitch. But instead of sending, having you just, just do the verbal pitch, we're going to send the manuscript along. But, you know, it's just an additional piece of IP to help convince them to want to to want to do this deal, but it's not been vetted. It's a, it's a, it's original, meaning it's the most risky prospect that we can put in there, you know, in their court, if it's been vetted by, and and it's sold a million copies, then everything's much easier, you know? Sure. Absolutely. You have a fan base built into that IP too. Um, Yeah. Risk, risk mitigation is the main, you know, directive (laughs) of the studio or network exec is risk mitigation. That's why you, you hear this. Everyone wants IP so often. Is when you hear that, when you hear someone say everyone wants IP, they're effectively saying everyone wants to mitigate risks. Mm-hmm. The, the financiers and who the, and those who can afford to finance production want to spending money. They're going to spend millions on something. They want to mitigate risk, and mitigating risk is making have another industry vetted something, and there's a built-in audience mm-hmm. that mitigate. Just like with my time, I'm going to there. They have money to, at risk. I have time at risk. So when I'm re- going through all those, you know, those. Uh, unsolicited emails i'm i'm doing i'm trying to mitigate risk i'm mm-hmm. reading if i if no one has any bio to speak of i'm probably going to just delete you know the email but if someone's like i was a you know had an award-winning play and i sold this book a book two books published i this less risk for me to it's less like it's 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 less likely that i'm gonna waste time by reading that so um you know it's all we're all trying to mitigate risk if you if you think about it just i have time to that i'm that i'm trying to lo- not lose and the studios and networks have money that they don't want to lose. So we're all doing, we're all guilty of, the, of it, you know, in a way. Yeah, no, and executives and producers, you know, their their job is, you know, executives yeah. green light a bad film or two and they're looking for a new job. Yep. You know, so. Um, Ash Laser uh, wanted to echo Michael's question about regarding if now through the end of the year is a good time to query or not. And further, if John Zauzerny mainly handles opening queries first at Bellevue or how that's shared. Uh, I guess emailing the info at, at Bellevue email, you know, the general email, not like an individual email to you particularly. Uh, do you know how that works? If, if John yeah, gets John read the info, the info at Bellevue prods.com, that email, John gets that email and, okay. and I just get my own. If, you know, if someone emails me, I get it. If they, you know, email right. John, they does he ever forward anything email. to you or pretty much? He he, does, yeah, he does. He'll forward, yeah, he'll forward them to the whole team from time if he wants it. Oh, yeah, I he see. does forward those to us and, Especially if, if if it's if it's addressed to me hmm. or my name is referenced, he'll send it to me. And, gotcha. and even when it's not, he'll say, "Hey, this came in through the the general thing." But he gets the email. Gotcha. He okay. gets the email initially. Uh, let's see here. Um, Ash goes on to say, "Jeff, thanks again. What are your overall thoughts regarding queries? Besides being short, polite, with an interesting concept, what else makes you request a script? And how many do you request?" Yeah, I think I'd say the the best query letters are, you know, and, and I mean, I think he already knows this because he, he mentioned all this, but mm-hmm. logline is important, but it's not everything. Bio is very important because bio clues us into ex- what the where the execution is going to land. Um, personalized is good. I We don't like it when someone says emails themselves, BCCs a million people, <laughs> right. and it just says, hello, you know, right. hello. And then underneath it's, it's a generic email going out. We know it's going out to a thousand managers, so we just delete it. You know, mm-hmm. if it's so, it should say, "Hey, hi, Jeff." You know, uh, I, you know, it's always good to put in. A, I'm, I, I heard you on Scripts and Scribes. I saw you on this. I, you and I knew, know someone. Make it feel personal. 
Do not make it feel um, non-personal. Mm-hmm. Um, log line is going to be a big part of it, and then bio and keeping it short. And um, if it's a if it's a two-page, you know, novel or novella, and there's a thir- thirty links and it's single space, you know, we're probably gonna not gonna look at it. So if it's just, um, yeah, and I would say just that's it. That's it, really. It's that's all I can really say about log about mm-hmm. you know queries. Uh, let's see here. Um, how many new clients per year do you on average accept and what avenue did you find them and overall thoughts on the blacklist paid site contests and queries? Uh, thanks, Ash Laser. Yeah, uh, there's no, I, I don't have any set number of clients that I sign every year. Uh, it just, it's a very organic and it's varies from year to year. So it just, whenever it makes sense. So there's mm-hmm. no answer for that question. Um, what was the second question? Um, your overall thoughts, I think you've ex- expressed it already sort of on the blacklist paid site, uh, content yeah, the blacklist, the blacklist paid website is a, one of the preeminent, uh, vetting sources that managers use. I know a lot of producers use it to find material to produce, um, and, and studios and networks as well. But from, as far as from a manager's perspective, you know, if you, it has a rating system and, you know, mm-hmm. if you got an eight or nine or 10, we're more likely to, to look at it. if it was chosen to be their script of the month or script of the week we're more likely to look at it. If you got into one of their labs and then we're more likely to consider you as a client. So it's a great vetting source. It's a great uh, resource and tool. I, I think it's a, all writers, you know, especially those living outside of Hollywood. Out, that's your only, you know, cover fly and, and blacklist uh, are your only way into, you know, your access to the industry. And I think the blacklist is a little more established and they have their, the, a different resource with the, having your, scripts analyzed and covered and mm-hmm. and whatnot so i think it's great uh let's see here um well actually i just wanted to piggyback on what ash had asked uh how many clients approximately do you have now and is it like a sort of a a stasis unless someone blows you away you sort of keep try to keep it within the 15 to 25 range you know uh how does I it fluctuate think, yeah do I, would I cap, do I cap the, is that what the question yeah, is? Yeah, kind of. of. Yeah, I never, I never really have ever capped uh, some managers. There's been some, there's been some times in my, in my seven years of managing where I've, you know, stopped temporarily mm-hmm. suspended signing, having a baby, moving into a new house, you know, certain things, but it's very, very temporary. It's rarely, t- it's pretty temporary. Um, and the reason why I always like to leave the door open is just because you never know when you're going to, you know, I, I, I have a problem just saying, no, I'm not signing new clients and indefinitely because you just never know when a, a, someone out there it could be one of my, my clients reaching out about a friend of theirs mm-hmm. or, a, uh, you know, it could be a, someone like yourself who read something and, or an agent or a man, you know, an agent, uh, sometimes other managers send us, we share things, mm-hmm. uh, or an attorney. And just because you just never know when you're going to get something that's just going to blow your blow you away and could be a very successful uh, client. So I always want to keep the door open. Now, if I if I if I do get that script, that that kind of outlier that I'm really excited about, you got to make room. You just have to make room on your your plate. And, and at any given time, you know, having done this for seven years at any given time, you're going to have probably and I think most managers agree there might be someone that you've had for, you know, five years that you've been working with that. You know, it ha- things haven't been working, so you have to, you know, I think you have to manage your your list as a, as a if you're being smart and, uh, you know, um, from a business perspective, if you have a client that you've been with you for five years and 
not a penny's come in and then someone drops something on your desk that blows you away, you know, would it be smart to say, no, I, I, I've capped my amount of clients. I can't read this. And no, you have to find room. So if you don't have the room, you have to make the room. You would only make it with someone who you've worked with for many years and it's just not working out for one reason or other. Creatively, you're not seeing eye to eye. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, maybe you're creatively, you're seeing eye to eye, but when you're the, the rest of the town is just not responding to the writing and you've tried all there is, you're at the end of the road. And in fact, you're doing that, that client a favor by separating and saying, go find someone else. Maybe, maybe I'm the problem. You should find someone else. But And then you make room for the new person. So mm -hmm. I've always... Doors always open, uh, with the exception of a you know life of big life events. The doors always open. I'll always read new clients, and if I find something that I love and I need to make time, I'll. There's always a way to find a way to carve out the time, um, because at any given time, there's clients that didn't work out that you're still working with. So right. that's just the reality of the situation. There's always going to be, you know, things like that. Gotcha. Okay, um, Michael Smith, uh, if a client has a script that would be a good fit for a specific actor, how do you as a manager go about trying to attach them? Do you do this before or after a production company is interested in the script? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I do, I, getting a, a, a specific actor attached or a director attached to a, any, any given screenplay or teleplay is always two, there's two ways to do it. One is to go to that actor directors agents or agency and then the other ways to go to a producer and now there's been times where i did it in an order where i went to the agencies first and then couldn't struck out there went to producers other times i went to producers first struck out there go to the agents uh, other times i've done it simultaneously you know just giving it doing it simultaneously um now if if i reach out to the actors it, it also i think depends on the caliber of the actor like mm. is it you're, if you're trying to go for tom cruise it's going to help just getting just getting a read from his agent or agents is going to help to have a, a, a very formidable A-list producer attached. So for someone at his level, I would say, oh, I'm not even going to bother doing reaching out to CA myself. I'm going to try to get, you know, a major producer attached and have them reach out. Um, so I think it depends on the on the caliber of the of the actor and, the, and the, the talent you're trying to go for. I think I think if I had I think the best way to do it is to go producers first because it's been vetted. And then the, so the agents, they're busy, their clients are busy and they get a call from a production company that has major produced credits is formidable. And hey, we got this script. Um, then that's the way that works best. However, I have in recent years gone directly to the agents, the agencies, because, um, you know, at any given time there, you have clients telling their agents, you know, don't just bring me everything that's already set up at us. That's already set up with an offer. I want to be, I want to produce things. I want to be in control of them. I want to be, I want to do roles that I'm not being, you know, that, that the studios and networks aren't thinking of me for. And then you have the junior at any given time, you have these, you know, junior level agents who are job and they're, they're, they're tasked with finding that material for the client. So, you know, a, a major actor goes into WME or CA for a meeting or UTA and says, you know, you guys are just sending me this one role. And that's because the networks and the studios are sending you, are reaching out to you with roles for me that are just this, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. I don't want to be pigeonholed. Mm -hmm. I want to do something a little more prestige or, or you know, edgy or something. Uh, bring me scripts. I don't care if they're specs. So they have a directive from their client and the junior most person on that team is going to be tasked with having to do that. You right. know what I'm saying? So that junior, so that, uh, that agent who's the junior most agent on that actor's team or director's team is going to reach out to managers like me like hey do you have anything like 
you know, any edgy heist thrillers that are between this much, you know, 5 million and 10 million and I'll send them something and they might reach out to that actor or director and say, Hey, I found something for you. And, you know, they want to make their clients happy. Um, if they just leave it to the, to the incoming calls with offers attached to movies with start dates and all that, then they're just going to, you know, you're, you're going to get um, certain, certain types of roles are going to come consistently. So I do a little bit of both. It's, it's hard. That's a hard, that's a great question. It's a hard question to answer because I do sometimes do it simultaneously. Mm-hmm. It's on a case by case basis, but um, if it's, if it's a very high profile actor or director, it, it's much, very helpful to have it vetted by a major production company. But if it's not someone that's not that high level, maybe we'll try to go in. And, and that, even when they are high level, sometimes the, the agents, if they like it, the agents like it, they'll still show it to their clients and get it done. And I think, um, again, because the networks and, you know, studios are outsourcing a lot of packaging to the agencies and managers and producers, you're seeing that happen more often than nowadays anyway. So I, right. I do a little bit of everything. It's on a case by case basis, but yeah, I've, you know, recently, uh, there's been a, a few instances recently where I went directly to the agency to get into a big actor director. Uh, again, I think it's more effective to have it come from a major produ- production company, but for various reasons sometimes it does make sense to go directly they i get calls from the agents hey we have this this new client we're looking for things for we want to be make them happy by bringing the material they've asked us for this Mm. they don't want it to be encumbered they don't want it to be already set up they want to choose the director produce it now here you go here's the script you know so yeah i mean that's the thing you make a great point in terms of is it encumbered because like having worked on a talent desk at cia you get approached all cold queries all the time about oh, this would be great for Tom Cruise or this would be great for whatever actor. And if you don't have a hard offer, if you don't have money attached, I mean, he's got a stack that's being sent to him every week of stuff that has hard offers that has money. But what, like you had mentioned, things that they can produce is a whole different animal, right? That's yeah. the stuff that they're not getting as much access to. So if you, if you have something that's unencumbered and you come at it from a different perspective, like for producing wise, starring whatever um that's i mean by the way when you're when you're a major actor and you get something that's already has three producers attached Mm -hmm. set up at netflix has a director the chances are you're not the first to get it unless you're brad pitt or tom Cruise. you know right you're the you're the fifth actor on the list they've got passes from five people Mm -hmm. that doesn't make them feel good that's the first thing there's no room for you to come on as a producer right if you're not on as a producer you have little or no control over that project whatsoever Mm -hmm. Um, so there's there's reasons. Yeah. If you if you hire a, a, a development executive to head up your company or a producing partner and then you tell your agents, bring my producing partner material. We want to yeah. get in early. We want to be have a, a role in developing it. We want to. That's when I you know, if I if I become aware that they have a client like that, I'm going to send them scripts to the agents for that. But if the you know, um, some not every client, not every actor is like that. Some just want if there's if the offer is is if it's finance and there's a firm mm-hmm. offer to start date. Call me and we'll talk about it, but I'm not going to, I don't have, and I don't care about development or being in right. control. Just I'll show up on my set and, and do my part and then leave. Then it's probably better to have a major company come in. Even then it's hard because it's not already set up with a director and a start date. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Jacob's back. Jacob Burgos. Uh, thanks. I did, uh, I did sell a script and I have an attorney, Lichter Grossman. Uh, they've submitted me to reps and nothing happened. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, you know, maybe uh, it's hard to say. Maybe I don't. You know, the the particular reps uh, that read it weren't didn't respond to the writing in the way he want, they wanted him. I don't. I, I can't speak on that because I don't know who it was sent to, and 
I haven't read it myself. I just, all right. I can say is just keep persevering and keep being persistent and do what you're doing and, you know, maybe get it to, it just takes time. There's, there's, I know for a fact, hundreds of managers and management companies. So I doubt he's gotten it to more than half of those. So I there's a long way to go, you know, if that, if that's helpful. Right. And I mean, in addition to his attorneys, uh, the exec who bought the script at the company, you know, the network of the company or the production company, wherever, could also, you know, uh, make some calls if you yeah. ask. I'm sure they're a fan. They bought your material, right? So that's another yeah. avenue to... Absolutely, yeah. The executives who, yeah, the, the, the producers are executives who are on the project, attorneys. And yeah. it sounds like he's already doing that and, you know, getting it out to, you can, he should also just cold query more management companies, just volume it's a volume game and you and you've got to find some people that maybe have more bandwidth than i do you know that'll take a look at it so mm -hmm. um let's see ash laser has another question let's see some writers think the new packaging system that you touched upon regarding studios being hands off now is quote bad for writers any further thoughts regarding the pulse of the writing biz business well i wouldn't say it's i wouldn't say it's hand i didn't say it's hands off i just said that like there, there was a shift over, you know, um, from the, from the, you know, there was a time in this industry where, you know, everything was, would be optioned or purchased by a studio. Right. Let's and just talk would... about features for a minute. Cause it's much simpler. Right. Feature script would be optioned or purchased by a major studio. And then, um, it would be, they would, the studio would participate in assigning a producer. If they didn't already have a producer, if it already had a producer, they would work with the producer hand in hand to attach directors and attach writers if it needed a rewrite or if it was a book or whatever um, and attach, you know, talent, attach actors. Um, the, the amount of that they were doing, there was a time where about 80 or 90% was all done at the studio would be at the very beginning of that process. And then would, it would work out from there and, and 10 or 20% would be done outside and be brought to them on a platter with a full partial or full package. It's, it's been shifting more and now it's the other way around where most of it's being done outside. They're still doing it. They're just not doing it nearly as much as they used to. Sure. Um, they get calls on a daily basis. We have this major actor, this major director. Sometimes it's both the actor and the director. A lot of packaging happens outside the studio and packages are brought to the studio and or networks when it's all, all that work is done. And so over time and the reason um, that was done, the reason it shifted from and 80, you know, 80% being done starting with the studio, with the studio's involvement and 20 being done outside. And now, in my opinion, 20% internally is, is packaged and 80% is being brought to them without is because in, in order for them to package, they have to put money down first. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So in the 80s and 90s, uh, they, they bought they bought hundreds, if not thousands of spec screenplays for six figure, mid six figures, each screenplay. And then they said, okay, now that we have the script, we're going to take this, this producer is going to produce it. And then, then once that producer is attached, they go out and they, let's go out to directors, let's go out to actors. Every once in a while, they weren't able to get a director, actor attached. They weren't, which mean the movie didn't get made and they're out $400,000 or $500,000. And then they would, you know, so now they're saying you do that and, and that's, and we don't spend any money. We don't have to spend any money. You know what I'm saying? You so it's a, it was a financial choice. It was they they after the after it, in my experience or, or based on my knowledge is after the uh, WGA strike mm -hmm. uh, 2007, there was like a, a lot of auditing was done 
Uh, and, and there were other reasons why, but there was a lot of auditing done on how much was spent on development over the course of several decades, in all, you know, leading up to 2007. And it's like, we, we bought, you know, one studio might look, we bought a hundred spec screenplays, all for between 200 and 700,000 a piece. And we only made three of them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The reason we only made three of them is because the other, you know, the, the others we didn't make, um, we couldn't get the right package to get the green light committee to give it a green light, to get the head of the studio to give it a green light. So we're, what we're going to do is we're going to save all that money and, you know, agents, managers, and producers, you guys can go do that work and bring it to us. And if we say yes, and we're going to buy it, then we go right into a green light and we go make it. If we say no, we, we're not out three to seven, 300 to 700,000 per script. So they, it was just a financial choice they made after blowing millions and hundreds of millions of dollars over many decades. They just said, you know what, if this is an, ex why are we spending this money <laughs> when we're the, when we're the entity that actually finances production? We don't have to do it. You know, it was just a, a conclusion that they came to, a financial conclusion they came to over time. If we're paying for the movie, why should we also have to put all this money down to see if we can try to get a package together? Let's let those guys go out and try to get a package together for free. Right. And if they if they fail, then they fail and the movie never gets made. If they succeed, then we're going into a green light and we're making it. So it's 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 hard to explain, but that's the I don't whether that's good or bad for writers is a whole other conversation. I don't know if that's necessarily true i do think that um it's probably financially worse for them right because the student you know in in, in the 80s you're, yeah. an agent would read a script agent and manager would just take the script right into this they'd make a list of all the 10 studios they'd go out to over the weekend they'd there'd be a three or four offers in on a, on a monday they'd close the deal and that writer would get you know four hundred thousand dollars to purchase that script mm -hmm. and then the studio there it was their problem trying to get a, a green lit They'd have to go out and get the producer. They'd have to go get the director and actors. And if they failed, they're out 400K. Right. If they succeeded, great. They move on. But they stopped doing that. They've, so they're not paying that money anymore. They're letting it's being done for free outside the studio. And they're saving hundreds of millions of dollars on that, not having to do that packaging. Um, and um, and I guess that is bad for a writer from a financial standpoint because they're not getting that that money, whether the movie gets made or not. You know, So mm -hmm. there is, like I said, there's still, you know, 20, at least 20%, if not more. I mean, again, it's hard to quantify it, but the, the studios do package things. They do, you know, come up with ideas uh, internally. They might be, a, they might have a staff meeting and someone proposes remaking right. a movie that they have from their, well, guess what? Oh They're, yeah, I'm sure. That's their project. It starts, it, the Genesis started within the in-house. So they now need to assign a producer on the lot go get a director and they're going to be very involved in packaging and putting the packaging together. So I'm not saying they don't do it anymore. It's just that there was a big paradigm shift in how much they were doing. And, and it all had to do with money. Mm -hmm. um, let's see here. Uh, Clint Williams. Hey Clint, uh, zoom meetings are now routine. So does that mean feature screenwriters no longer have to live in LA? I realize TV writing is a different animal. Thanks. Uh, I would say this, if you have a representative, if you can get your work exposed to producers and buyers and agents and whatnot, you don't need to live in LA. And you, if this is pre pre pandemic, you did not, you do not have to live in Los Angeles to be a creator, meaning write, especially on the feature side, writing something and then just selling it. As long as you have a representative who, who lives here, mm -hmm. uh, getting staffed and getting open writing assignments before the pandemic, you had to live here because that's a, a social sport that's re in your in-person presence is required for pitching on to do, to get an open writing assignment or getting a job, so to speak, you know? So uh, now the pandemic came along and then, and then it, it 
you didn't have to live here at all to do anything as long as you had a representative. Um, that is going to start to change. It's going to get a little more and more gradually in person, back to in person as time goes on. It's, we're not even close to it being back yet, but maybe sometime next year, it'll start to be, it'll, you know, time is going to go on. And I would say in a year from today, it'll probably be back, you know, 70 to 80% of the way it was before where there'll be, a, you know, if you want to be a staff on a show, you got to live in LA or live wherever the room is. You could, could be in New York, could be in Canada. You got to live where the room is or fly and live to go to where the room is. But yeah, if you're just writing scripts and the, and the goal is to sell them and then, you know, get them produced and, you know, maybe do a rewrite, you could live anywhere as long as you have a rep here in LA. Mm-hmm. Let's see here. Um, <clears throat> Drunk Dracula. I love the name. Um, happy Halloween. Uh, contests. Do winners or finalists get to your desk or catch you or your staff's attention? Yes, we absolutely, you know, finalists. Depends on the contest, right? Depends on the contest and what they're and where they're where they're landing in the contest. So, you know, the nickel finalists, I think right now we've got two finalists that we're considering to represent. Um final draft big break, the the, the top ten final like winners of the ten categories and the overall winner, we look at those. Austin, we look at the semifinalists, you know, and the finalists. Uh, you know, nickel, we're probably not gonna look at the quarterfinalists. There's 500 of them you know what i'm saying so right. it depends you know and then there's certain contests even if you win it we're not going to look because it's you know if it's the uh you know martha's vineyard international screenwriting competition i might not care that you won that you know what i'm right. saying no offense to, i'm from massachusetts and i love martha's vineyard in cape cod but you know what i'm saying if it's it's gonna if it's not like you know south by southwest or sundance or one of these you know or nickel it's gonna have a reputable there are some obscure contests and, and competitions and if we haven't heard of it before we're probably not going to care that you want it right the ones we have heard that are prestigious you, you we're looking for the you know semi-finalists maybe but really it's the finalists and winners uh michael smith if a script doesn't sell and a client wishes to self-produce it is that something that you as a manager would support and would you expect to receive a percentage of any profits hmm. oh that's a good question if a script doesn't sell and the, the writer decides they're going to produce it themselves. And, um, but I don't know if self-produce means like they want to get a producer to help them raise money or if they actually are just going to whip out their credit card or have some yeah, sort they're of self-produce and they're self-finance. Those are two different right. things. If the client is going to self-finance something, then, then I can't imagine we would ask for a commission if they're going to open up their pocket and say, Hey, I'm going to, you know, pay for the, the movie. If they, reach out to a, 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 a producer they know. If, let's say they write a script and I'm out to 30 producers and we strike out and then they send it to, to a producer they know and that producer ends up you know, getting it to a major buyer and that buyer comes in and wants to make it. Um, you know, if, we're, if we help develop the script, we put out, gave them our time developing it, we gave them our time trying to find buyers for it and producers for it, but we struck out and they found a way to do it. We, we would still commission that because our time was spent trying to do it, even though their contact maybe ultimately led to the offer that sure. came in. We're, we're going to be involved with, you know, helping them negotiate that deal or furnishing them with an attorney if they don't already have one. And we're going to, you know, we giving them advice on, on it. And we, and we obviously did all the work leading up to that point. So I think in that case, we would probably uh, expect commission if we did all the work, but just for whatever reason, as a, and, and it's happened in the past where, you know, the manager's, and agents are out to 50 people. But the, and one day the client's like, Hey, I gave this to my friend and he, you know, is friends with someone at Netflix and they're going to make an offer. 
you know, but we put our time and we're getting paid for our time, not because we brought that one offer in. It's, it's a right. time thing, not a, you know, uh, a, a per, it's not on an offer by offer basis. It's, and there are, there are a lot of writers out there that think that like, if someone brings in an offer, they're entitled to commission something, but, it, but if they don't bring in the offer, they're not entitled to commission, but that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. We work on a, it's our time we're getting compensated for. So we would expect in that, in that, but there might be circumstances why we wouldn't, uh, you know, again, there might be reasons, but that's off the top of my head. What I, I think would happen. Right. Um, let's see. Uh, Ash asks, you mentioned vetting by blacklist cover fly, et cetera. So are you regularly reading those lists? Uh, they say they're sending to reps. Oh, I guess. Cause you know, like the weekly blacklist, whatever. Highlights. Yeah. Yeah. We read those. We're reading the log lines and the, and the bios and the blurbs that we get from blacklist and cover fly for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drunk Dracula's back. In the late 90s, I had a lit agent, some action, etc., but have now jumped back into screenwriting after a 15-year hiatus. I know TV streaming is huge now, but do feature specs have a chance slash audience? I guess in streaming, specifically? Because obviously features still... Yeah, the, the streamers have been... The features, yeah. features have, you know, theatrical features have been... You know, the amount of theatrical movies being released every year has been dwindling and you know, contracting, and it has been for the last at least a decade, if not longer. Mm-hmm. But guess what? We're, you know, thanks to streamers, there's been a big proliferation of features that are being released on streamers. They're smaller budgets, most of them. Not all of them. Netflix is doing some really big, you know, straight-to-streaming features um, like like uh, Project Power and, mm-hmm. and Bright, you know. But but yeah, there's so there's there, the, the streamers have been picking up where theatrical is like, you know... Um, where they're where the numbers are low on theatrical streamers have been you know filling the gap but they're but also because they're streamers they're the budgets are a little smaller but you know there's still occasionally some big budget but yeah i'd say uh thank thankfully because streaming is the reason why there's fewer theatrical films so you know i think it makes sense they're also the reason why they're going over there but yeah the reason people aren't going out to theaters as much is because there's so much premium content at home um and therefore fewer people going out means the movies have to get bigger longer more you know event films and you know and then the smaller things are going to streaming so there's still a home for all that stuff it's just not in theaters unfortunately right um astrov 2 says i have two managers reading my new feature how long should i wait to follow up on that read two weeks okay two weeks is a good amount of time to follow. if you haven't heard back within two weeks i'd say that's a healthy amount of time to follow back up uh, Clint Williams, do you automatically delete a query when you read it's a Western? No, not necessarily. Um, uh, I Westerns are hard. That's common. You know, you'll hear that around town. Westerns mm-hmm. are, are extremely hard. Uh, um, one second here. We have a little gap where uh, Jeff has stepped aside. Must be an important client call. So let's see here. I'm going to go through. A few... Sorry about that. No, nah, it's little... all good. It's all. I was just going to fill the dead air, but now you're back. Um, let's see here. Uh, Ash Laser, in a perfect blue sky moment with a client, what would your ideal script or story be right now? Like, what would be your dream project? What would be my dream project? Hmm. I can't, it's hard to say. I, you know, like I said, something that's really well written that I could, you know, hopefully sell and get I me mean, the dream. The goal is to get things produced yeah. 
and produce at a high level. So um, I, I love all genres. There's very few genres that I don't like. Um, so I would, you know, open to anything. Uh, love, like I said, I have a, a soft spot for sci-fi and for you know high concept, uh, elevated sci science fiction, mm -hmm. grounded elevated science fiction. So. Um, Todd Klinger, should a newer writer be focusing on high concept ideas when trying to land representation? Uh, high concept ideas. Yes, I think they should. Uh, it's not just high concept ideas. It's two things that they should when you're trying to get representation and, and more important than just trying to get representation when you're trying to get, you know, discovered in the business and get on the map of, you know, um, you want to stand out as much as possible. So it's high concept, but it's also bold loud buzzy wild ideas you know we call them sometimes we call them stunt specs mm. uh buzzy stunt specs or or voice samples so when you're trying to get representation and but more importantly trying to get you know on the radar of producers and and agents and studio executives you want to be bold think outside the box high concept is isn't falls in that under that umbrella of, you know high concept is good for sure so yes can't go wrong with high concept um, if a producer reaches out to you looking for something specific, would you ask a current client to try and develop something quickly or s search for a new writer with said project via the blacklist, etc.? Read that one again. I, I lost that. Yeah. Um, if a producer reaches out to you looking for something specific, would you ask a current client to try and develop something quickly or search for a new writer with said project via the blacklist? Like, I guess if they're looking for, uh, a bank heist movie and you would you look up and your none of your clients had one would you reach out to your clients and say hey do you have any ideas for a bank no, heist would. movie would I've you want to write that. one i would, I would, would let you... it go i would just tell the producer that i did, didn't have one and that's that i'm sorry i just don't have a thing at this time because gotcha. if i reached out to a client and said hey su such and so producer called me is looking for something specific by the time the script was ready that other producer could a already have found what they were looking for mm. and not have a need anymore or B, the need has changed and they're not looking at it for that anymore. You know, the average amount of time to get the script done would be four to six months, right? So I would just say, no, we don't have one. If I ever have one of those in the future, I'll call you. And if you're, you know, you're still interested, sure. But I wouldn't call a client and rush them to write something and chase some kind of this producer just called me and he had an idea. He thought it would be anything or he just talked to Netflix and they're looking for things. Let's rush something out quickly to get to them. I would just say it doesn't exist. I wouldn't. And. And I wouldn't look for one either. I would. I would just tell. I would just look at what I have at that time, what what I have or what's about to be finished. I would look at my list of clients, what's available, or what's about to be available in the next couple of weeks. And if I have anything that matches, great. If I don't, I would just say no, and then that would be it. Right. Um, Bravo Sniper Forty Seven. What's the average for a spec script with a production budget set at around five million? I don't know if the he average means world. average page count or average. Uh, uh, like sale price for the script, maybe the sale price because it's usually about ten percent, but it depends on you know lower the budget obviously. Uh, so I guess maybe we'll go with what's the average sale price for a spec script that you think for a product that has a production budget around five million. Five million. It's usually two point five percent. The industry standard for a sale price of a screenplay is two point five percent of the overall ingoing budget of the film. So if it's five million. It would be 2.5% of that. And, and that's that's what you're we're aiming for as reps. And that's, you know, there's different circumstances and reasons why you might get more or less than that. But that's what we aim for as rep, reps, like agents, managers, and attorneys. 
that's our goal is to get you 2.5% of that as a purchase. Um, but if there's competition, you know, and there's heat and there's talent attached, we'll try to get you more. And sometimes when there's no heat and there's no competition, you might get less, you might get 2% or one. I can imagine there's been some as low as 1.5%, but 2.5 is what we're aiming for. That's what you should expect and try to strive for. Yep. Um, so Ash Laser, thanks again, Jeff and Kevin. This was really fantastic. Really appreciate all your insights and time. Thank you, Ash. Andreas Anderson, I'm making a $6.5 million movie. They want to do at least two more with me, yet I have no one representing me. Is that enough to seek out to you guys? Uh, say that again. I missed some of the um, I guess this uh, Andreas is making a $6.5 million movie, and they want to do two more, but he doesn't have a representative. Um, so is that it's enough cool. to seek out you guys, or is that enough to, you know? It's not enough. I don't... I, it, if someone reaches out to us and uh, makes an unsolicited, you know, query and says, I'm trying to make a movie at any given budget, it's not going to move the needle for us. If that money's in the bank, maybe it moves the needle for us because that means they've been vetted. Again, back to that principle, right. the vetting principle. But I, it sounds to me like this person's just a writer that has some scripts that have, and they happen to know what the budget is of those scripts. Gotcha. That's not going to move the needle for us. It's going to be the bio. It's going to be logline and it's going to be vet- vetting from the industry. So this is the logline. This is my bio. I had, you know, this degree. I wrote this, 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 and that. And then and embedding is part of the bio. It's like I placed in this competition, won this competition, and I had this produced and I had this actor star in my last film. This film was actually financed. So that's all that matters to us. But if, if they're saying that they have no, fi- you know, so I'd, I'd have to get details what, what they mean right. by $6 million if they, you know. If, they, if, if, it was if it's actually financed, the deals, are, contracts are signed, they've gotten paid or they're going to get paid. In which case, why do they need a man? They show, right now they're doing fine. They just sold something and if that would help them find one, maybe it might help, you know. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's vetting. It's a, someone writing a check for $6 million is a, a form of vetting. So if a writer comes to me and says, hey, I need a, I'm looking for a manager. By the way, this financier just wrote a check for $5 million, I might say, okay, well, I might want to check that out because, you know, they saw something in you. Right. If they're saying to me, this script would cost five, six million. If, if it were if someone were to believe in it, then, you know, right. That does, that isn't to say that I wouldn't read it. Cause again, if I like their bio and I like the log line, I might say, let's, my job is to find that person sure. to write the check for five, six million. But, um, but that alone isn't going to do it if it's not. So yeah. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. Um, uh, Drunk Dracula is back. Let's say you sign me or one of us. Uh, what do you and your team want from a client? That's a good question. What's our responsibility to be a good client? I like that question. That's never asked. <laughs> yeah. Um, the responsibility is to, you know, you should always be sending your reps, your managers, new ideas. Producing, in short, it's producing new material. You have to co- consistently be producing new material and that starts with writing up a list of ideas and sending them to us then um and then act when we, we've locked in an idea writing the first draft writing the outline you know writing a treatment um and then just you know making trying to to produce two or three pieces new new pieces of material every year i mean so being productive and, and producing new material that's the first and most important thing that you should be doing as a as a writer uh, who has representation, um, you know, listening to your reps, uh, you don't have to, you, ha- you can push back or you're, you should, if you, if there's something you don't love and you a note you've gotten that you don't love or 
advice you should you're welcome you don't just take it and you know roll over you have to you know you can you speak up for yourself but uh yeah i would say producing new material um and we're starting to run a little short on time so we do appreciate you coming on what is some uh, one last piece of advice for those emerging writers out there what advice would you give them to hopefully make their journey to land representation a little bit easier yeah, I would say the best, you know, the best things you can do as a, as a writer is, you know, there's a, it's a couple of things. It's definitely, uh, and I mentioned some of this, I touched on this before, be bold. You know, it's not, it, it, when you're trying to break into the industry as a screenwriter, it's not necessarily about writing something that can sell, make money and get produced. It's about getting noticed as a writer. So you write a stunt spec or a, stunt specs are an extreme version of this, but you can write high concept, bold ideas um, the, the, you know, if there's, if we're seeing thousands of log lines a month, you want to stand out from that list. So if I, if I see, if I get a thousand log lines and, you know, 800 of them have the word cop in them or FBI agent, or, you know, you might want to try to move away from that. You might want to try to move away from those things. You want your log lines to stand out. You want to be bold and buzzy and unique. Even if you're looking at the log line going, this could never sell because it's too weird or it, uh, there's maybe a, a life rights or music rights component that you don't control the rights to, you know, as long as you're not monetizing it, you can write a script about anything. You're free to write anything as long as you don't make a penny from it. So you can write a script about, you know, um, someone who's alive and who you don't have their life rights or the, as long as you're, there's no money, it's just going to be a sample. You have to be resigned to it. Just like being Madonna. So, yeah. Like Madonna. Exactly. So be bold, stand out from the crowd and your, in your log lines need to stand out. Your bio should stand out. Um, get vetted. So it's be bold, then get vetted, which is blacklist. And, you know, we talked about this cover fly and, you know, final draft and, you know, get vetted as much as possible. Um, be bold and concept. And then when it comes to your bio, pick the things to put in your bio that make you different, that set you apart from the group. We, everyone's gone to college or it's not everybody, but most people have gone to college, got some kind of degree. They're from some state, you know, it, pick out the thing that makes you unique. If you, you know, worked at a uh, Jamba Juice as the, you know, guy or girl that got up on and had to lead the, the chance, you know, they used to sing at Jamba Juice. They'd, I'm just thinking off the top of my head and it's a little zany, but you get what I'm saying? Like, you know, something, you had a crazy weird odd job. Like I, you know, used to do this weird odd job or I used to, you know, when I was a kid, uh, not a kid, when I was like in, in college, I, uh, you know, had a summer job where I worked with the Department of Public Works and I used to, we used to do landscaping at the graveyards and the cemeteries in town. And I had to dig, dig the grave every once in a while. We dig graves, you know, the holes for the headstones in the graves, P pick that out and say, yeah, I used to be, you know, I worked at a, when I was a teenager, I worked at a cemetery digging graves. I, you know, did this, I had a weird job where I used to work, you know, drive around this celebrity or something. It's people mm -hmm. want to know what's unique about you. They don't care about the stuff that's, you know, everyone has, if like I have, you know, this degree from this and I did this. So, you know, stand out in your bio, stand out in log line, be bold, and get vetted and that's about and to be your own rep until you have a rep which is a lot of these people that are texting us today are being their own rep reaching out to you know managers reaching mm -hmm. out to producers you know that guy joseph i think his name was he sold something he was acting as his own representative until he could find one he reached out to someone and someone reached out to him and he sold something without having a rep so you be your own rep those are yeah. you know i think when you break it down it's like be your own rep be bold stand out get vetted those are the, the big things you know yeah. and be persistent and be persistent and keep just keep trying you know yeah uh, don't give up. up 
I know that's cliche. No, I mean, but it's true. It wouldn't be cliche if it wasn't true, right? Um, yeah. Uh, be sure to follow Jeff on Twitter. It's at Jeff underscore Portnoy. Uh, and as a reminder, next week we're back this Saturday, uh, October 23rd at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern for a live stream with writer Q&A uh, with Greenland and buried screenwriter Chris Sparling. Uh, thank you again uh, for coming on again, Jeff. It's always great. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, really. Sorry for the, the technical difficulties earlier, but I appreciate no, you guys no. having it's me on the show. It's all good. Um, and thank you all for joining us today. Have a great week, everyone. Be productive. Um, and we'll see you next time. Thanks.